0: chose to jump into revelation or uh, romans chapter 8 because um whether it's our culture or our church we've kind of just gone through a bit of a shake up even there was a prophetic word uh shared shared last week um just just articulating something of the kind of the shake up as a church that we've kind of gone through as we've kind of come through covid now um and that can leave us weary. Uh, It can leave us doubtful. It could leave us just kind of burdened down. But what Romans chapter 8 does, it's all about our blessed assurance. And when life is backwards, when things are upside down, it begins with no condemnation. It's going to begin with no separation. And as one scholar says, all in between is the fact that, Christian, you will not be defeated. No condemnation, no separation, no defeat. And These incredible truths then are undergirded by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is it going to ensure that these truths are real and experiential for you. And therefore, we look at Romans chapter eight as the Spirit-led life. So Romans chapter eight, verse one, or read through verse seventeen. And you just you you get just bulldozed with truth. In the first verse, right? Here it is. There is therefore now no condemnation. How much condemnation? None. None. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life. We could also say, and the power of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the power of sin and death. But God has done what the Old Testament law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in his flesh. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is what? Death. Death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is actually hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although even the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It's all to say the spirit is life. So then, brothers, we are debtors. Not to the flesh. We have no obligation to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will what? Live. live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slave, slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions As sons by whom we cry Abba father the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children then heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him I know that is a lot so let's break it down Maybe a weird way to say this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, didn't write Romans 8, right? And by that, I don't mean that he didn't write the content of Romans 8. I just mean that he didn't separate it into chapters. He didn't write that big eight there in your page. Paul is actually working from a flow of thought all the way back to Romans chapter one. Paul has been building this argument. What Paul has been doing in this flow of thought is he's been laying down something of the, this black backdrop before which he's raising up the diamond of our salvation and he's showing us the glories of the salvation That we have in Jesus Christ so his flow of thoughts begins in Romans chapter 1 where he says God's wrath is revealed against all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth he will describe that unrighteousness as covetousness as maliciousness as slander as hate as arrogance as those who are disobedient to their parents, as those who are foolish and faithless and ruthless. God's wrath is revealed against all unrighteousness of men. But in then in chapter 2, Paul will say, he'll actually turn to the religious elite of the day, who think, well, I'm not that, <laughs> so I'm good. And Paul will say, but you too are without excuse. He will say, you judge these irreligious folks and behind your kind of religious kind of upkeep, you do the same things that they do. Your hearts are the same as theirs. And so Paul will then culminate in his argument in chapter 3, verse 23, that familiar passage. For all have sinned, religious and irreligious. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace. Oh, I love it, as a gift. It's through the redemption, the purchasing up, the work of Christ that he did upon that cross, whom God put forward as a propitiation, big word. It's just the fact that Jesus has pacified in himself the penalties that we deserve. And he's done this by his blood and how, how is this great salvation how is this great grace to be received it's to be received by faith so in chapter 4 paul will describe the nature of this saving faith in romans chapter 5 he'll actually kind of come back and explain it all over again that all are without excuse all have fallen short of the glory of god and he'll say it by saying For as by one man's disobedience, that's Adam, many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. And then in chapter 6, Paul will go on to talk about how we don't just live under the law, but we live under grace. Grace now empowers our life as those who have come to faith in Christ. But then chapter 7, and this gets more to chapter 8 and how we're to understand chapter 8. Chapter 7, Paul will address law-abiding Jews, but as he does so, he is going to draw on the heart of every man and man's propensity towards spiritual performance. It's the idea that in my own efforts, oh, I can change is that not the gospel of seemingly every secular therapy and Disney movie in our day? You got it within yourself to change. You got it within yourself to be something. You got it within yourself to perform and to perform in such a way that you can establish your own sense of significance, if not then your favor with God and acceptance with God. Well, in chapter 7, Paul, even, even just flip the page to chapter 7, verse 13. Look how I-centered, how I-centered Paul is in these final remarks before he gets to chapter 8. It's I, 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 I am of the flesh. I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. It's I-centered. It's I, it's I, it's I, it's about me it's i focus and then paul will just culminate in verse 24 where he finally says oh wretched man that i am who will deliver me from this body of death it's that performance never seems to actually accomplish what we think it will looking into myself or even for some to some standard of law keeping It never actually brings true change to my life. I am left again and again saying, oh, wretched man that I am. This is the same turmoil. This is the same frustration that we see all throughout the Old Testament. And God will interject some amazing truths, specifically in Ezekiel 36. Check it out. It says this. God says, you you watch the exchange of eyes, where Paul is focused on himself in chapter 7, and Ezekiel 36, it's all about God saying, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. From all your idols, I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and I'll give you a new spirit, and I will... I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put what? My spirit in you. And I'll do what? Cause you to walk in my statutes. God is saying you want change? Don't look to the eye. Me, me, me. Right? Right? It's to look to the Spirit. This is why Paul turns from this kind of inner turmoil of law-keeping and performance, and he now turns to Romans chapter 8. As one scholar says, this is Paul's Pentecost, Romans chapter 8. The eye of chapter 7 is replaced with the Spirit of chapter 8. Instead of the eye, we hear all about the Spirit. And the point being then for us if we want true transformation in our lives if we want something even as we think within our own church body if we want something of sustainable ministry and mission we must get out of the eye of chapter 7 and into the spirit of chapter 8. does that make sense this is then the main idea this morning. If we are to experience true transformation as children of God, we must get out of the eye, chapter 7, and into the spirit of chapter 8. The question is, how do we do that? First, in chapters, or, uh, verses 1 through 4 of chapter 8, how do we get out of the eye and into the spirit? We must be reassured that the spirit... Sets us free from the death of performance. Catch that? We must be reassured that the Spirit of God sets us free from the death of performance. Just check out what chapter 8 says. Verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation is is that legal term referring to one's guilt and one's deserved judgment and what it's saying is those in christ for those who have trusted in jesus there is no condemnation there is not an ounce of wrath nor the slightest nor the sliver of judgment for those in jesus there is no condemnation There is not condemnation from the past. There is not condemnation in the present. There is not condemnation in the future. And why? Because the Christian has just so well performed. He's just done such great things in himself. He's looked to himself and he's accomplished all these things to gain favor with God such that he has no condemnation. Is that how it's worked out? (laughs) No, just look at verse three. How has this glorious truth been made real for the Christian. Verse 3: For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. I couldn't do I couldn't do enough law-keeping in this body to gain any favor with God. I couldn't do it, but God has done it how by sending his own son verse 3 in the likeness of sinful flesh And for sin, Jesus condemned sin in his flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. That is simply to say that Christ has done what we could never do. The Old Testament law, it didn't produce change in just God saying, hey, this is what I want of you didn't produce change and even if you tried to apply yourself to it in your own strength and in your own energy you would fail you would fail you would fail again you would fall short of the glory of god but what christ has done is that he and it's a play on words really that paul is using here he's saying that christ condemned our condemnation and how did he do it by going to that cross and suffering on our behalf I don't have to perform anymore I don't have to meet up to some sort of religious standing anymore I don't have to worry about condemnation or what God thinks of me anymore there is no condemnation for those in Christ but now notice Paul is he's kind of tricky in how he goes about thinking through these things and so you gotta kind of follow the text verse 2 and more to our point how do i know that i'm free from condemnation how do i know that i got jesus in other words how do i know that jesus has performed everything for me well verse 2 for the law of the spirit Has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death What what in the world is Paul saying don't let law throw you off the law here is not the Old Testament law but the law here is just referring to the principle or power of something so we could say for the power of the Spirit has set you free from the power of sin and death Paul is saying this is the evidence that you have no condemnation right? You find freedom from the death of performance by the Spirit. I don't have to strive to feel as though I got to live up to anything when Jesus has done everything for me. And it's the Spirit who testifies to that reality in my life. It's not as though I'm not going to struggle thinking, oh man, I got to perform, I got to show up to church because of what other people think of me. No. No, don't come to church because of what everybody thinks. And don't come to church thinking, well, I've got to make sure I'm good with God. You're good with God if you've trusted in Jesus. Jesus has outperformed you by a long shot. And now what you get to do is simply trust in his performance. Now you get to live from his performance, not for some sort of performance to gain favor with God. You get to live out of the victory of Christ, not for victory. You get to live out of the acceptance of God, not for the acceptance of God. It is, as the text says, freedom. And so it's when these truths, you know that you have no condemnation, even when perhaps we sing the song, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. When your heart leaps at those words, that is not you, that is not your flesh saying that. That is not your, your flesh saying, that's right. No, that is the Spirit of God within you testifying to the work that Christ has done on your behalf. He's freeing you, child of God. He's he's again and again testifying. Don't try to perform. It's already been performed. Live in the good of Christ's performance. Know the freedom that is there. This is what the Spirit does for us. right? He testifies to our spirits that we are free from the death of performance. Through Jesus, who has done it all on our behalf. So when we are weary in well-doing, when perhaps we are just altogether focused on our own failures, when maybe in life, whether it's from a spouse or whether it's from a co-worker or whether it's from a friend, you are blitzed with criticism by the Spirit's empowerment. Let your soul soar on the gospel truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You have been set free from the death of performance. You don't have to live up to anybody's standard of you, but just simply live from what Christ has already accomplished for you. Be free, Christian. Be free. Second, then? How do we go out of the eye of chapter 7 into the spirit of chapter 8? How do we get out of that internal battle that's always focused on myself and I gotta be something and I gotta be something and I gotta be something, always coming to the fact that I'm not adding up to what I think I should be? How do I get out of that and into the spirit, into the freedom of the spirit? Second, we must be assured that the spirit supplies life and peace to those who set their minds on him. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. What does that mean? What does that mean, set the mind on the things of the Spirit? It is to set your focus on the things that the Spirit's focus is on. It's to love the things that the Spirit loves. It is to value the things that the Spirit loves values it is to seek the things that the spirit seeks and what are these things that he loves and seeks and values well he loves the glory of god he loves the truths of jesus christ the spirit of god he loves justice and he loves godliness and he loves meekness and he loves patience and he loves joy and faithfulness he loves god's people and he loves god's mission These are the things of the Spirit. So to set your mind on the things of the Spirit then becomes not merely a mental exercise. Oh, I've got to be setting my mind on the things of the Spirit, so I better get my checklist out to make sure that I'm thinking about the things that he is thinking about. No, 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 no. This is a profound, not mental exercise, but relational exercise. Where you're just. Your disposition is this God, I want to value what you value. I want to love what you love. I want to seek the things that you seek. I want to live in line with you when we set our minds on the things of the Spirit, it's not a mental activity, it's a relational interaction where with the presence of the Spirit now comes His power to actually form in us the truths that we meditate on so that we are actually becoming like Jesus as we're setting our minds on the things of the Spirit, which produces not only Christ-likeness but something of life and peace. Every one of us knows the opposite of that. When I'm, my mind is racked with all the circumstances around me, how desperate and challenging and difficult they are. We know it by all the ways in, in which we've then dealt with those struggles out there by kind of coping with stuff in here. We know the turmoil of what it is to live by the flesh. And what is the end, as Paul says? It's death. To set your mind on the things of the Spirit is life and peace. But the opposite of that, the contrast of that, is setting your mind on the things of the flesh, which is death. What are the things of the flesh? Well, it's the eye rather than the Spirit. It's to be circumstantially focused and self-focused rather than God-focused. It's to have be about self-glory rather than God's glory. Self-will rather than God's will. Self-righteousness rather than God's righteousness. Self-preservation rather than God's preservation. In verse 7, Paul will say, when you're doing that, it's hostility against God. In other words, what he's saying is you're trying to be God. It's why we need to die to performance, but it's also why we need to die to the flesh. It's because it's just exalted. I'm taking my own will and thinking that I can get through this life on my own, doing my own thing, my way, without any kind of accountability to God. The mind of the flesh, verse 7, is hostile to God. It can not do good. Even if you do good. Catch that? even if you do good you say people don't need god to be good and they don't that's the difference between goodness and godliness you you can be all about serving the underprivileged and you know helping out all the system Matter of problems in the world, you know, digging wells in the backwoods of third world countries for people. You could do all that great stuff and be, quote unquote, a good person. It doesn't make you godly. You do all that good thing without giving credit to the one who's given you life and breath to do it in the first place. And that is not godliness. That is mere goodness. And that is damnable. It is death. So it's not always that setting the mind on the things of the flesh is just, oh, it's all the bad stuff. That's what those people do. No, it's what we do. Thinking that I'm something because of the good things I do. I came to church today. I'm good. You ain't good because you came to church. You're good because of Jesus. And you're good because, as you set your mind then on the things of Jesus, on the things of the Spirit, it's the Spirit that's going to produce in you something of Christ likeness, something that says, "No, it's not about me. It's all about Him. I'm not working for right the sake of my performance. I'm living from performance, and so my life just becomes all about thanksgiving and rejoicing in Him. Every breath, and every step I take, it's from Him. It's got to be directed to Him, from from Him, and through Him to Him are all." Things. Folks, we must set our mind on the things of the Spirit. It's life and it is peace. Now, what Paul then goes on to say, and I got to kind of cram it together a little bit, is that Paul is saying the life and the peace that comes from the Spirit will be demonstrated even in your body coming to life one day. You're going to die physically, but he will, he gives such life. And peace to his own, that even in your death, it is not death to die, you will be raised again by the power of the Spirit. So Paul is saying, man, look out. The Spirit is the one who will give you life and peace. But then he goes on to say, verse 12, and this is very important. I think this is probably the hitch in most Christians' life that just kind of dogs them down in the Christian life. I trusted in Jesus. Why not get anywhere? This reason. With all that the Spirit affords us, verse 12, we are not debtors to the flesh. Those who are in the Spirit owe nothing to the flesh. In fact, what the flesh deserves, verse 13, is death. You are to put to death the deeds of of the body. Paul's logic here is you can't, in this sense, you can't be married to life. You can't be in the spirit when you're always dating death, the flesh. Does that make sense? You can't serve two masters. You can't let the flesh remain and still benefit from the spirit. You know, the the illustration that came to my mind was gardening because I've screwed it up again and again. It's like, okay, we're, we're, we're in the fall again. Anything that I planted in the spring... Man, to see that truly produce life and fruitfulness, I got to be actively not just planting some seeds, not just doing some daily watering, but also getting those darn weeds out of there. Cuz everything then just gets overgrown and choked out. I can't I can't experience the life and fruitfulness that is planted when I'm not tending to the weeds that are there. And so what Paul is saying you can't give your flesh a place of belonging if you're gonna know also then the in-depth life and peace of the spirit. And therefore, when you're setting your mind on the things of the spirit, you are to do that with the express purpose to war against your flesh. You are not to just serve two masters. Well, I'll do a little Jesus on Sunday. Get a little Jesus in the morning. Get my little grab bag of verses, and you know, I can go to pull those out. Man, I'm encouraged for like two seconds, right? And then I'm back to just doing what I want to do for the day, thinking my own things, do making decisions by my own wisdom, my own. He's saying, no, stay in the Spirit. Continue to set your mind on the Spirit, with the aim to kill the flesh. I'm not going into my day in my own wisdom, in my own thoughts, with my own desires and my own choices. No, I'm going to surrender that to what is right and what is true by the Spirit. And the fruitfulness of that will be for you, Christian, life and peace. Life and peace. This is the Christian life in a nugget. Learning to walk by the Spirit rather than by the flesh. And if you're going to walk by the Spirit, ah, the Lord's just like, how do I say this? So, you know, as, as you preach, God's speaking, he's saying things, and he's bringing things to mind. Um, so even, like, recently, um, uh, you get stuck on, you know, flipping now, there's, there's Facebook, there's YouTube, flip, 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 right? And, and the content that is there is kind of alluring. It's like, oh, that'd be interesting. You know, whether it's like the, the, all the drama that comes with COVID, oh, 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 interesting. You know, you, you get drawn into that stuff. You know, whether it's the cultural, you're just drawn into that, amped up, right? or, or there's temptation. Just be straight. Women, dress, certain kinds of ways. You're just flipping through. Um, My heart goes out to my kids. Don't you ever be picking up that screen without asking one of us because I don't want you to come across that junk that all that it's going to do in you is kind of, it's going to fan the flesh. Come, come and check it out. Come and check. And if you begin clicking on that, what are you doing? You're making decisions to set your mind on the spirit. No, (laughs) on the flesh, I'm entering into something. So now I'm just fanning the flame of my flesh when I should be like, get out of here. Turning my stupid phone off in the first place. Got to get my mind on the things of the spirit so that. I'm fanning into flame his work in my life, which produces life and peace, not the chaos of the flesh. You see what Paul is saying? Set your mind on the things of the spirit as a way to go to war against the things of the flesh. Um, So we must give our attention to the things of the spirit with an aim to war against the things of the flesh. This is how we go, once again, from the inner turmoil of I got to do this, I got to do that, and the chaos of life, right? And I'm just not, I'm not feeling any kind of fruitfulness in my life, and I just feel dead again and again. Getting out of that junk and into the spirit. This is how we go from the eye of chapter 7 into the spirit of chapter 8. We must be reassured that the spirit is eager to supply us with life and peace to those who set their minds on him. finally then. We must be reassured that the Spirit draws us into deeper fellowship with the Father. In verse 14, we are told that all who are led, it's a kind word. He's not just like pulling us, right? There is a gentleness to that word. All who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. And notice the comparison, verse 15. We are not slaves, but sons. Let it sink in. God, as the sovereign one over all, as the Lord of our salvation, as the one who's done everything, performance speaking, for our salvation so we could freely receive the gift of his mercy, he doesn't just bring us to himself to then coldly serve his purposes. We're not slaves. It's not as though he doesn't save us without any concern for love and intimacy or without any concern for our joy and happiness. He doesn't save us to be slaves but to be sons. We didn't receive the spirit of slavery. Oh, here's a burden now. Walk the Christian life. Oh. That's how many of us do it though, right? Isn't the Christian life oftentimes just a burden? Oh, we're doing that again. Oh, we gotta do this again. Oh. <laughs> just Carry the burden of Christianity on our backs. I know it because I live that. But the freedom, it's freedom. It's freedom to live in the spirit. And so we must be reassured that there is deep relationship with the father to know by the spirit. We are not slaves. We are sons, we haven't received the spirit of slavery, but the spirit of adoption as sons. We are not left in fear, but we are those who can take our fears and cry out, what? Abba, Father. Dad, I need you. I hear this constantly in our house. Dad, Dad. Judson did this, Judson did that, you know, or Jabari did this, Jabari did that, you know, and it's constant. Done, Folks, in a real way, this week, this week, you're going to step into all kinds of junk. You know it. You know it. You're carrying the burden even right now, different ways. You don't just get to benefit from the salvation of Christ as one who's like, oh man, I just got to like, get through this crap. But it's something that I can take all the fears and the baggage and the burdens and cry out, Abba, Father. I get to go somewhere with my pains. Taking our pains and our burdens to other people, there's a place for that. But they can never satisfy you. They can never satisfy you. You were made for Abba Father. You were made for all the the infinite stuff of your burdens and baggage and brokenness. It can only truly be satisfied with Abba. Only with Abba. And folks, another another point. Lord was just like, yeah, here's some application. Here's some application. I'm like, I don't know. Sunday, there's too much. <laughs> we got to strip down. Uh, but I got to put my finger on this one, folks. We live in a world of fatherlessness. Amen. A world of fatherlessness then is a world of slavery and fear. You catch that from the text? Yes. Just look. Look at the father absence in our city. Father absence breeds fear. How do youth react when their vulnerabilities are threatened? Violence. I have to fight to hide my vulnerability, I have to fight to hide my fears. The violence of our city is largely fueled by the fatherlessness in our homes. It's a city of insecurity. And oh, how this next generation, even as we see it with the youth, as we're tending to them on Fridays, how this next generation needs something. I don't even, spiritual surrogate dad. Those who will lovingly, faithfully bear with the failings and insecurities of this next generation. And more so, those who would step in, men who would step in and point this next generation to faith in Christ so that they too might call out, Abba, Father. I got somewhere to take my fears. The insecurities that I feel, I don't carry them alone, no, no. I can carry them to the arms of my Abba Father. Folks, you can't read these texts and think, oh, I'll just kind of continue to do my religious stuff. This is wildly experiential and relational. It's to be experienced. These truths are not just stuff to like, oh, it's nice little spiritual therapy to get me through the week. <laughs> no. This is deeply to be experienced And it's deeply relational that Abba is not just some sort of concept in the sky. It is God, Father God, who is the Father of fathers. Everything good that you have ever experienced in fatherhood in this world is but a faint shadow of all the richness of the Father in glory. And it's to him we get to go. It's not to the one with all the failings. And even my kids come, dude, you know, it's like, oh, man, don't come to me. I'm just going to be mad at you. Just going to be mad at you. Yeah, you're in need right now, but you keep coming to me and you're frustrating me because I'm not, I can't be everything to you. He is father of fathers, infinite resource, infinite love. We have not been saved To a spirit of fear, but to a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cried. This is what the Spirit's work in us does. He points us. He pushes us. He causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. But notice then verse 16, we'll wrap things up. The Spirit will bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs with Christ. The Spirit actively bears witness with our spirits that this relationship with Abba is legit and good. That's what he does for us. But there's more to this word of bearing witness. I I agree with Martin Lloyd-Jones, and I know I'd throw his name out a lot, but he is the guy who's written more on this stuff than anyone I know. And he will say that this witness of the Spirit is what many will refer to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And maybe that's even confusing language to you. But what it is, it is something of a unique filling of the Spirit that both supplies a profound assurance of the Father's love and something of authority for life and mission. Is what Paul will actually refer to in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19. It talks about how the Spirit comes and does something in us so that we can experience the love of Christ that surpasses understanding. Too much Christianity is lived up here, having but theory for what is to be experienced in relationship to God. And what I want to say, along with Martin Lloyd-Jones, is this spirit bearing witness with our spirit is less an intellectual activity and more so an emotional and experiential activity of the Holy Spirit. We don't abandon our minds, of course, but it is the spirit who desires to come and in power, pour out the love of the Father over our hearts and to assure in us as the text says that we are heirs with Christ that is authority language I get all that Jesus gets think about that for a second to be an heir of Christ to be an heir of God is to say I get all that Jesus gets well my my day isn't going well this happened and that happened <laughs> this argument came and This circumstance didn't work out the way it's supposed to. That doesn't take away from the fact that you are an heir of Christ. You get all that Jesus got. There's reason for rejoicing. Rather than complaining. And it's the spirit who works to that end to ensure. Oh. That this is not just theory, but this is experience. It has been my prayer for our church, for instance, as we go door to door, you know. Um, I can't wait to see, by the way, Thursday, 530, meet here. We'll go out and do that again. Um, I can't wait for us as a church to learn what it is to go from this place of kind of fear and intrepidation. I don't know how this is going to go. This feels weird. I'm not sure of myself. And again, it's the I. I'm very focused on me. It's the I of chapter seven. It's me, I'm focused on me, right? I want to see us get from the fear, slavery of fear, to this place of standing. I know my Father's love. I know the authority that I have in Christ. All that's Christ is mine. And so when I'm showing up to this door, I'm not standing in the flesh, I'm not standing in my security. I got the kingdom of heaven to offer people as I come to their door. This is not, I'm not selling vacuums. I'm not just announcing the next pizza place around the corner. I stand in the glories of heaven, right? I know this love and I want to give it away. You got to have it. It's a world of difference. It satisfies the soul. Oh, and to know the authority of Christ, to be heirs, to know that, yeah, this world may dissolve away and everything might go backwards, but I Get all that Jesus gets. I got something to offer you. Come to know this Jesus who can satisfy your soul. Come to know the Spirit of Christ who will minister the glories of heaven to you on a regular basis. Folks, I'm tired, to be straight with you, I'm tired of these things being theory. Tired of And I know, like... Walking by the Spirit isn't going to always be mountain peak experiences. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the fact that chapter 8 is here is the fact that we're going to struggle with all this stuff. right? That's why he's trying to reassure our hearts through all of this. But the fact of the matter, folks, is I I want, I, I pray for me, for you, that we would be altogether more aware of the experience in the spirit then all the fears and self focus that we oftentimes experience i think the spirit would be calling us and for some of us i'm just going to end this way for some of us maybe it's that we need to have something of a hunger for a, deep, a deeper experience of the holy spirit stop just Getting by on your own. Let let all the tensions and fears drive you. Spirit of God, I need I need that assurance of the Father's love. I need to work not in a place to that man. I gotta I gotta add up. No, it's not about the performance. It's death to perform, right? I, I got to work from what Jesus has accomplished for me. So, Spirit of God, come now and give me something of the assurance of the Father's love. Give me something of the authority that I have as an heir of Christ. Let me know it. Let me know it here. Not just, oh, yeah, that's what the pastor said, something like that, you know? No, that we know it in our hearts. So, I just want to end then. Musicians can come forward. um, Just end by praying for a deeper. Encounter with the Spirit of God. So we we might be those um, who are given to the Spirit led life. Lord, we come before you even now and we take your truth (laughs) and now we want to, we want the benefits of it. We know the struggles of living by the flesh. We know the experiences of, of just death. We know we're where the things that we set our minds don't result in goodness. It just results in more burden, more difficulty, more of a stew of darkness. So God, we want to step out of that and into your spirit. Spirit of God, I pray even right now that you would give us a fresh outpouring. Lord, that you would stir within us something of a hunger for you when we've When we know all too well the way of the flesh and the junk that it produces, Lord, I pray, I pray that the junk and the burden of our hearts would just draw us to you. Spirit of God, we need you. 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 We cannot live this life apart from you. So, Spirit of God, would you come in power upon us? Lord, we've prayed these things before, we're not going to stop. We're not going to stop praying because your word tells us that there is more of you to know. There are deeper glories to plunge. There is life and peace to be produced. And so we run to you, say, no, we we want you to pour out your presence upon us in power. Free us from always having to perform, live up to some standard that someone else set before us, or some law. uh, Lord, let us live from the good of Jesus. Lord, let us set our minds on the things of the Spirit, not the things of the flesh. And Lord, let us, let it be that we find ourselves, even this week, by your power, bringing all our fears and concerns into deeper fellowship with the Father, crying out, Abba, Abba. Spirit of God, do this work. Come, fill us Bear witness with our spirits that we are your children and heirs, according to Christ. Do this work, do this work. It's like I don't even want to stop praying. I don't want to stop praying. I don't want to stop praying. Because we need you. We need you. We need you. It's why we get together and pray regularly. We can't do this life apart from you. So we need you. Flood into our hearts. God, I pray for your your presence to produce a power in us that unleashes us from all the ways in which the flesh has its hold upon us. Spirit of God, I pray that you would do that not just by undoing the hold that it has upon us, but do it by giving us a greater experience of the father's love that says there's no way I'd even want to go back to that flesh. There's no way I want to live in that way because I've tasted and seen that Abba, he is so good. So Lord, we come to you, pour your spirit out, fuel our lives, spirit of God, we pray in Jesus name.
1: in the So as, as we sing this song.